Hi everyone, this is Dave Wright and welcome to the Player Development Project podcast. I hope you're having an excellent week working with your players. Before the content recap today, a quick announcement of a brand new feature on the PDP website. Coaching for Character is a new program that we've been collaborating on with positive psychology expert and top PDP contributor Lara Mossman. Members now have access to five videos featuring Lara and I talking through a number of character traits, how coaches can support players in this area, and we've also provided 10 practical session plans for you to access around this. These are available in video session plan or downloadable PDFs, and they're easily built into your coaching program. So whether it's resilience or leadership, for example, you've got some content now to build into your program to help your players develop character traits on the grass. Simply log into your PDP account, select the menu dropdown, and access Coaching for Character. Now for a quick content recap, over the last couple of weeks, we've released some excellent content on the site. Firstly, we featured a brilliant masterclass discussion with Birmingham City Academy Manager Christian Speakman. Now this conversation was exceptionally informative with some great advice and the full discussion is available under the masterclass section on the website. We've also just released a new live session called Transition Game, which is a top practice for attacking transition moments such as forward passing and forward runs. We'll explain the session, some adaptations to the practice and also introduce individual challenges throughout the video, so look out for those. Most recently, our lead researcher, Jimmy Vaughan, has made a return to the blog with a brilliant article called The Future of Coaching Must Look Beyond the Past. This is a great read. It challenges linear player development models, the role of sports science in youth development, and is a bit of a reflection of Jimmy's recently published paper on creativity. I highly recommend this one. Now, today's podcast features a discussion with myself and James Coots in our latest Q&A video. James has joined the PDP team as a coaching advisor. He has extensive playing and coaching experience in the UK and Australia. And today we're going to tackle a conversation on position-specific coaching and how you can incorporate this approach into your program. Look out for more on the site from James very soon. And he's also available as a mentor via the Player Development Project mentoring program if you're interested in guidance from one of our team. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up to become a PDP member, we've got a range of membership options available at playdevelopmentproject.com for coaches and clubs. Jump onto the website now and find out how to access all of our top coaching content, including the new PDP Slack community. Finally, I'd like to wish all of you a very Merry Christmas and a safe and prosperous New Year on behalf of the entire PDP team. It's fantastic to see the podcast audience growing every week through our various formats of Masterclass Q&A content and Dan Wright's On the Grass episodes. We're grateful to all of you for your support and hope we're adding value to your coaching environments. We're excited about continuing to build even more features to help coaches around the world, so watch this space because we have great additions coming to the website very soon, and we hope to see even more of you sign up in 2020. Enjoy today's discussion. Hi everyone, my name is Dave Wright and welcome to another Player Development Project Q&A. This week I'm delighted to be joined by Player Development Project's new coaching advisor, James Cooch. James, how are you? I'm good, mate. How are you? Good, good. Looking forward to tackling another community question and bringing you on board for this one. Now the question's coming from Frank via Facebook and it's to do with position-specific coaching. So Frank's asked, how can I do position-specific work with my players? Now, Straight off the bat, some of the considerations we have to think about here are how many coaches are on the grass, how many players in the group, and these kind of things. So we'll tackle those. So James, what are your first thoughts around this one? Uh, Yeah, obviously, context-wise, the age of the players and what we're doing. Um, But love this type of work and a lot more focus on the 
position specific and especially the individual learning that you can get from the position specific work. So it is certainly something that I endorse and have a lot within my program or where I'm coaching. Mm-hmm. Um, and for me, yeah, it's looking at the balance in terms of the individual to the unit, to the teamwork that you're they're looking at. So yeah, it's certainly one that um, lots of positives coming out of position specific work if it's done in a positive way. Yeah, look, it's something I've been exposed to in various programs I've worked in as well, where we might have position-specific days or position-specific sessions. We've also run things like midfield schools or attacking schools, and we'll break the players up into units. But of course, when you're working in professional academy environments, you might have the luxury of more coaches. So one of the real-world challenges for us as coaches out on the grass is potentially we've got 16 or more players in one body in terms of the coach. So where would you start if you were looking to really hone in on some position-specific work Perhaps it's your second contact of the week and you really want to dive in some ideas with your midfielders, for example. How would you look to deliver that content but still affect the group in a broader sense? Yeah, I think that's the key. The the key is with position-specific work is you're focusing, as you said, on an area, for example, midfielders. You must be aware and ensure that the defenders and the attackers within that session are also engaged. Mm. So... A practical way, I guess, I like looking at this type of work is if you're working on midfielders, as you say, whether it be combinations or, say, wide players, etc., and you're looking at how they can potentially get the ball out wide and, and look to get the ball into the box, you can add layers to that in terms of the forwards to ensure that they feel included in the defenders. So it might not be as part of your whole team brief, but you might talk to a couple of the attacking players prior to the session and give them a couple of challenges based on the outcome you want to see from those midfield players. Mm. That makes sense. So in terms of adding layers prior or um, hopefully getting success on the area you're working on and then adding those layers with position specific with the attackers who you're not necessarily working on that week. However, mm. that might build nicely into the following week. Yeah, I think that's really important is because the attackers and the defenders never disappear, do they? The game is an invasion game and it's, you know, we talk about interactions between players and players adapting or having repetition without repetition because every interaction with the ball in terms of perception, decision and action uh, is going to be different. You know, that repetition has to be there. So you can't isolate and go with this reductionist view of just saying we're just going to work on midfielders if you're only one coach on the grass with the players. I think the other thing here is to consider... Uh, and it's an analogy that I picked up doing the UA4A license with Ted Dale, who's a national coach educator up there at the FA. And he talked about who is James Bond in your session design? Who is the star of the show and who are the supporting actors? And when doing position-specific work with a bigger group, I think this is a nice way to think of it. Well, there's a primary, secondary, and tertiary player, potentially. So an example of that might be that you're number eight in the midfield, your primary player. Your secondary players could be the centre-back behind them or the winger outside them. And your tertiary player could be the goalkeeper because there may be another line away in terms of where they are on the park. But they all still have a relationship. We're just shining a light on those players at the time. So have you got any sort of thoughts, particularly around um, player engagement and being aware of how players are receiving the session and whether you frame the session before you go out on a, on a whiteboard or a flip chart and say, right, we're focusing on the midfielders because you could lose players and if they're playing at right fullback. I mean, are they disengaged? Or how, how do you sell this to the players a little bit? Uh, 100%. The one thing we need to know as coaches, when players are turning up, they're looking straight away. They're looking mm-hmm. visually, what's the session going to be like? Can I see goals? Can I see, first of all, something that's going to engage me? That's just natural 
on players. And as a player still now myself, I'm going to a session and I'm thinking, is this going to be fun for me? Um, <clears throat> if the coach, as you said, frames it, right, guys, tonight we're working on midfield players, getting the ball into wide areas, and I'm a striker, I'm a centre-back. And like you say, I'm thinking, okay, well, I'm not a massive component of this session. How can I keep those engaged? A big part of it's down to the planning. Mm-hmm. And you, and it's something I've experienced with last year that we've built into the program and it's come after a lot of trial and error from mm-hmm. myself in terms of things that work and don't work. That I would always attach challenges to players mm-hmm. who are not involved in the primary element. So mm-hmm. as an example, we're doing wide play. We're getting guys down to try and get bodies in the box or try and get crosses and end products the coaching element is going to be on the specific in terms of the wide players, who does when, what, mm-hmm. et cetera, and, and how. However, I might attach a little bit of a, a challenge to the strikers and defenders in terms of a competition on who's mm-hmm. going to score the most goals. Defenders, if you get the ball back, you do this, or there might be a transition where you can be yep. the attackers for a set. So then you've got that engagement and that buy-in from them still. So mm-hmm. it's that constant engagement with them and then even letting them know that Boys, tonight we're going to be focusing on the wingers. However, next week, we need you now to start preparing for next week because we're going to be looking in real detail about your movement and kind of different things like that. So, yeah, that's something that I've experienced this year that I found really useful with players was constant mm. challenges in each session and they feel valued. And it's it's a part of the planning. As a coach, if you pre-plan that... Um, You've got, and it doesn't have to be strenuous where you're spending hours and hours. It might be a couple of key challenges tonight. So attacking players, goals, defending players, keeping goals out. Very simple as that. But you do that within the little units and that's coaching within itself. Even though you're not focusing and they're not your stars of the session, as you say, they're still Mm -hmm. getting something out of it. Yeah, 100%. I think, you know, we talk a lot about individual targets, individual learning, and I think a key part of any uh, session planning or any program that you might be looking to work within is planning those interventions. Now, we've got a great masterclass discussion with Steve Kirby, who's the under-18s mm. coach or assistant coach up there at Leicester City. Steve talked about how the coaching group would get together every morning and plan those interventions, plan those individual interactions with players you know, it might be that we know a certain player is going to respond to maybe a little spicy challenge, you know, something sarcastic, something fun, and yeah. maybe another player needs an arm around them and needs a little bit of guidance in terms of what needs to be achieved or their level of confidence. So planning those interventions is key. But also I think, and, and this sort of comes from recent conversations with Jimmy Vaughan on some of the ideas of, uh, well, his ideas is, is to, if we have a theme or a plan that's overly too strong and it's a focus, let's say, on midfielders, is that sort of a top-down idea that then is losing other players in the process because they're thinking, oh, well, it doesn't involve us. So his, his idea is this bottom-up approach, which I think is really nice and in that you create or facilitate the session and then those challenges might emerge. So I think there's a fine line in terms of your balance um, when it comes to planning and planning and planning, which is probably something I've been guilty of a lot where I'll over-plan things and, and I like structure and organisation, whereas Jimmy's the opposite end of the spectrum where he'll put on a session and go, what's going to happen and put on some constraints. So I think there is a balance there. Mm. The, the, the other thing I wanted to sort of bring up around this was the peer-to-peer element because when you're working in those units, obviously you need some collaboration between the players who are alongside each other. It could be a back four, could be a midfield three, whatever it is. Um, how have you gone about implementing some ideas there or do you have advice for coaches tuning in in terms of how you can get those units to collaborate? Um, again, put into context the environment of our coaches, I was fortunate that video is a huge part that you can use that really benefits. 
if you're in a situation where you don't have video, um, little unit meetings, five minutes prior to a session, and sometimes mm. throwing it out to the players, asking them on the weekend, for example, back four, we conceded these goals, why? Or even better, doing it after the game yeah. and getting them to think about it before the next week's session so they've got time to digest it. So mm. at the end of the session, we're obviously a lot of time as coaches told not to talk too much, not to give because we can have emotion attached to it. <laughs> However, I don't see anything wrong personally. It's something I've done a number of times where I'll take the back four, the midfield three, the front three, or attacking midfield defenders, whatever you want to do. And just say, right, guys, before the next session, I want you guys to have a chat, however you want to do that in whatever mm. way. And just give me some feedback in terms of how you guys worked as a unit. So that's learning for me and maximizing learning away from the grass, which is vital. And then when we come to it on the pitch, then you can look at more unit-specific work and they've got that, I guess, mindset already of how that might look in terms of success against Mm -hmm. um, failure. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. And I think it's, again, it comes down to this balance and the context. Now, I know you've done a lot of work in senior football, still playing football uh, at the senior level. Mm. The other thing to consider here is the age of the players, because uh, I've worked in programs where perhaps you're working in that skill acquisition or foundation phase with players in that sort of 7 to 12 or, or even 13s and 14s bracket, where their position-specific focus for a period of time might be relative to their individual targets, which we have alluded to. So it might be, and we've got a, a Q&A that Dan and I have recorded on when a player's ready for a set playing position, which I think ties into this a little bit, where it might be we've got a player that needs to really get some success on passing and receiving. So, you know, this player might be a dribbler or a winger and, and they've got certain strengths, but we're just going to work on a weakness for a little while here. So we'll put them at right fullback because the game's going to be in front of them, opportunity to pass forward, run forward, probably a little bit more time on the ball than perhaps higher up the pitch or in central areas, for example. So you can also look at how you tie in your individual positional focus with a role for a period of time. And I think one of the considerations I remember working within the Fulham Academy program was that we wouldn't, we would always try and avoid players playing in more than three positions within a game because naturally players are going to come on and come off and get equal playing time or allocated playing time. Uh, We don't want, unless there's real injury problems, we don't want a player to be overwhelmed with, I've just had 20 minutes up front, now I'm playing centre-back, now I'm playing left wing, and they're not really getting into that state of flow. So I think that's a consideration, whether it's within your session or whether it's on game day in terms of how you're managing that from a developmental focus. Yeah, 100%. And I think, as you said, it's so important to... Context is so crucial of this. Knowing the player's age, where they are in terms of their development also is crucial. Um, And understand as a coach, we must always know the why, why we're doing something. So Mm. position-specific work, if it's something that the players are not yet ready for, then that's fine. That's not a problem. Don't put on the session because we feel we have to do unit work or have to do position-specific work. There has to be a why to what we're trying to do and what we're trying to achieve. Um, For me, a big focus, and even at senior level, is about principles of play or behaviours in terms of what you want to see. So sometimes Mm -hmm. it might not be a tactical element in terms of your position-specific work. It might be that you're doing behaviour-specific work in the session and you want to see key behaviours of your players. Um, They're nothing to do with tactical elements because that's part of their individual plan. Uh, It's part of the club in terms of how they develop their players throughout the academy. So Mm. I think it's keeping it into context and really understanding the why you're doing something is vital. Yeah, and it's also, I think, the the sort of final thought from my side is that during 
the season, a lot of coaches tuning into this will be in grassroots environments where they've only got one or two contacts a week with their players. So, you know, we get questions like, well, you know, what, what value does ball mastery and isolated practice and these things have? They all, all these elements have value. There is a spectrum in terms of player development that PDP certainly endorses that everything has its place. Hmm. But if your contact time is limited to maybe 120 or even 60 minutes a week with your players, then perhaps you're better to put them into scenarios where they are game-based as opposed to perhaps honing in on the position specific or the isolated stuff. Maybe that the isolated is something they can do at home, ball in a wall and all these things we yep. should be encouraging young kids with. And maybe the position specific stuff can just be laced into the program throughout the season. So month one, it could be we're going to do a session on midfielders. Month two, it's yep. going to be defenders and so on. So I think, again, balancing it based on the volume of contact time you have is key. Um, so that's kind of the final thought from my side. James, any final thoughts from you in terms of practical advice for Frank and other coaches tuning in? Yeah, I guess a, a top tip or something I've certainly found has been useful, and this goes for senior players as it would under fives, under sixes. If you've, prior to the season, or you've got individual player plans or you've got plans in place for players um, that they know about and it's specific to the player, at the end of sessions, if you're doing a game and you're doing a little, just a small-sided game or whatever, if you let them know prior to that, right, guys, I'm going to be really looking tonight at your IPP or your individual player plan. I'm going to look to see who's working on that tonight. And if I don't see someone do it or I see someone maybe not do something as per their IPP, I'm just going to blow the whistle and give it to the other keeper. I'm not going to say who, mm. not going to say whatever. And I found that really useful this year in senior football um, that we'd be playing a game. It would be intense. It would be flying around. I'll blow the whistle, say, guys, IPP, give the ball to the other keeper. No mm -hmm. one knew No one knew who, no one knew whoever. But what it did do straight away was re-engage the thought process into individualizing my part within that game. So it, mm -hmm. that was something I found a real useful tip that continued that individual learning in any session you wanted to do. That really helped. Yeah. Really good advice, and it's, a, it's an interesting strategy, uh, and I think that's one I'd like to try as well. Really nice, really nice thought to finish on. So, James, on that note, I want to thank you for your time and also welcome you again uh, to the PDP team. We look forward to doing another Q&A very soon with you. Can't wait, mate. Looking forward to it. Excellent, and we will look forward to another Player Development Project Q&A very soon. Thanks for joining us on the Player Development Project podcast. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at PlayerDP or find us on Facebook. Don't forget to head over to playerdevelopmentproject.com where you can sign up to our progressive coaching community and gain access to our wide variety of resources to help you in your coaching.